Nicholas joins us again in this episode where we'll be discussing the Hauptfeld verbal position, also known as the Spieß. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Reenactors Corner Podcast. This is Chris here again with Lassa. How are you doing today, Lassa? Well, this is the first Monday I have um, being between jobs, as they call it. Uh, so I've been trying to clean my room, but it's worse than I imagined. It's like the Falle pocket here. Where I live is also a horrific disaster, uh, but I don't have time off from work, so I may never clean it. It's just full of typewriters anyways. Uh, it's full of typewriters. I actually fell off my chair here at my uh, in the studio the other day, and I landed on one of my typewriters, but and I knocked it off of where it was on. Fortunately, uh, it didn't have very far to fall because it landed on another typewriter, and everything was fine. And that's the real true story. I, I love these stories. Uh, I have another typewriter coming in the mail tomorrow. I'm real excited about it. We should just call the podcast like Chris and his typewriters. I could definitely do. There is a typewriter podcast that people do that I listen to. I'm not going to say the name of the podcast because I would hate for them to find out that somebody mentioned it on like my evil uh, World War II podcast. But uh, <laughs> there's for people interested in typewriters, there's a typewriter podcast out there. There's more than one, but there's one that I listen to a lot. People in my car love it. They love being in my car with the typewriter podcast. They love hearing all about the details of the typewriters. It's real exciting. Do they, though? They do not. They do. They, in fact, they do not. <laughs> so, uh, we are excited today. We have a special guest on the podcast. It is Nicholas, who has been on the podcast before. Thanks for coming on again, Nicholas. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I don't know if you talked about this before um, when you were on the podcast. Um, how did you? Uh, how did you and Lassa meet? Uh, we met at a uh, what we call the first uh, proper uh, reenactment event in Norway. Yeah, it was the first like proper World War II event in Norway. I think it was in twenty fourteen, um, and I was going there with my. Um, uh, with the rest of my unit, which was me and another guy at that time. Now, we were like three guys, four maybe. Um, but at this event, uh, there was this other guy, who is Nicholas, who uh, walked around in an SS kit. There were also another uh, SS guys there as well. And the event was uh, midwinter. It was extremely cold. Um, like, very, very cold. And... Um, yeah, I mean, after that event, uh, we asked uh, Nicholas if he wanted to join our unit, and he said yes. We didn't hear from him in like six months, and then he got active, and here we are. We are going to talk today about the Hauptfeldwebel role in reenacting, uh, the Hauptfeldwebel in history, and the Hauptfeldwebel in reenacting, which is something that I think is a really interesting subject because it relates very much to 
something that we've talked about on the podcast here before, which is unit structure, the company as, you know, kind of the basic element of a World War II German unit. Um, so, uh, Nicholas, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, how you got started, I guess, in doing this Hauptverwebel impression? Of course, I didn't start with a Hauptverwebel uh, impression. I started as a, um, a normal uh, rank and file Panzergun there, and uh, from there I sort of uh, naturally uh, evolved as an actor in my unit, and um, and w we are currently a part of uh, the European Access Coalition, which is basically an umbrella organization for um, a lot of the um, the German groups in or good German groups in uh, in Europe, and. Um, as a part of that group, I was asked, uh, because I'm in, in the board there, I was asked if I want to do a Hauptwebble impression for uh, one of our trips, which is basically, it was basically an event where we fought against the second armor in Europe. We were their um, uh, enemy, so to say, um, in, in uh, Belgium. And it was the reenactment of the 1944 invasion of um, Belgium uh, and the spearhead of the second uh, armor. So um, that was really cool uh, to do that, and I was able to be a help available for a week uh, and actually do some of the help available tasks, like uh, make sure that everyone has food, make sure that everyone has their need needs tended to that the trucks are working, that we have enough gasoline, how much gasoline we have, and of course uh, support the uh, unit commander or the, um, that was this was sort of a Kampfgruppe and uh, I was supporting the lieutenant who was in charge of this uh, Kampfgruppe and, uh, and this was a really good experience for me and uh, that was my first time as a help available for a longer period of time and it was actually why I started this impression in the first place. That sounds really cool. Yeah, I, I really like the idea of uh, event-specific impressions like that, where an event needs someone to be in a particular role, and you know maybe they haven't done it before, maybe they, they don't do it all the time, but it's something that can add to an event and make it more realistic and also give people opportunities to portray things that might not be a good fit for every event that they do. I guess before we get too much further, just for people who don't know, and if people are maybe wondering what this is about, the Hauptfeld Vabel is like the senior NCO in a company. So um, it's a special role in, and I, I imagine that in other armies and other militaries, this, this role probably also exists and has its own name. Uh, but it's basically... Uh, it's the person in the companies who is the non-commissioned officer who has the most seniority. Yes, this is all correct. I can yeah. uh, also add that um, it's a kind of a common misunderstanding in reenactment that the Haltwebel is an actual rank, but this is not true. Uh, it might sound like a rank, but in um, in the German Wehrmacht, it was a position title, what we call a position title, and it was... Uh, most common to hold the rank of uh, Oberfeldwebel or just a Feldwebel when you had this um, position title. 
And I think the misunderstanding is because in the modern uh, Bundeswehr, the German modern German army, uh, they have this rank. The Hauptfeldwebel is now an actual rank. So I think a lot of people look at the modern stuff and think that this is um, uh, similar to um, Wehrmacht during World War II. And uh, when, if you want to compare it to something, I would say that, uh, the closest that you have in the US would be a first sergeant uh, at company level, or if you're talking about um, the Commonwealth, uh, I would say a company sergeant major. Um, so every company, artillery battery, cavalry squadron, etc., would have a Hauptfeld Bebel acting as a, as you said, a senior non commissioned officer in that company. And their duties co daily consist of running their company. Um, like uh, this uh, administrative task, latrine duty, guard schedules, payments, um, updating the sold books, and basic discipline and order for that company, uh, resource management, like fuel consumption, ammo status, health status on the men, and a few, uh, food distribution. Um, they were also responsible for dealings with the civilians if they were in an area where they need to buy food etc they would be the ones responsible for either paying them local merchants or peasants or um, uh, giving out special uh, bills that they uh, can use later for getting their money back of course we know that this system sort of collapsed in the late 1944 and even before that even on the western front but um, in theory, that was the uh, the task, and many maybe uh, many people ha might have heard um, the um, nickname Spies, which means spare, or Mutter de Compagnie, the company mother. And um, uh, and I can ask you guys: Do you know why it's called Spies? Uh, that's really an interesting uh, question, and I've heard two different two different explanations, and I'm sure that one of them. Probably neither of them are correct, right? Because they, both, they can't both be correct. Yeah. I don't know, Lasse, do you know the answer to this? Well, to be honest, I'm actually, like, I'm not sure I remember. I know Nicholas has told me, but it's like, um, I've heard it's this spirit because he's the head of the company, but uh, I'm, I'm unsure now. Okay, I heard that in, like, Napoleonic times... NCOs would carry a spear, like a pike, you know, like a maybe a ceremonial uh, weapon, and that 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 it came from that. Um, and then the other explanation that I heard is some far-fetched thing that has to do with the uh, the two rings of rank braid that are on each cuff of the uniform that is worn by the helpful Babel, But I don't think that I don't really think that one makes any sense. So. Uh, Nicholas, what is what is in fact the origin of this nickname? I would say that you are extremely close when you're talking about the Napoleonic era and uh, the spare um, explanation. Uh, it's actually it's a name from a little later than that because they, yes, the NCOs they carried uh, spares, but a little later they switched the spares out for some quite short swords that were. Um, uh, sharp, and they used them for ceremonial uh, ceremonies and and stuff like that when they uh, uh, were on full parade. So that when we're talking about uh, maybe late Prussians or uh, 
or the uh, Kaiserreich uh, of the or the uh, Imperial German Reich, and um, they will carry these uh, short swords, and they were nicknamed Spies because they were um, they were pointy, um, only for stabbing, but of course they were only ceremonial. ceremonial. So. Uh, so that's where the nickname actually is are from, and I I also heard some explanation about uh, like last we were talking a little bit about here where um, that they were the, the the front of the company and they were the, the the standard. So that's why you just follow them and they're leading from the front and stuff like that. But that's all uh, misleading, very misleading. Sure. Yeah. Because they didn't really lead from the front, right? In the sense that like. The Hauptfeldwebel's role wasn't necessarily at the head of the company in battle, right? No. That's where it gets a little bit tricky. Because they were sort of, as you say, in the rear with the gear. They were behind the company. Um, so the lieutenant or the company company commander, whatever rank he would hold, uh, would be in the front, uh, ideally, leading the men. But of course, things can happen to him, and in certain times in uh, uh, in uh, the, during the war, they had a lot of uh, casualties on the company commanders, and also for the uh, different uh, platoon commanders. And um, uh, Hauptfeld would actually be acting, uh, or they they uh, could be acting as a reserve platoon commander if one of them were killed or wounded. So he can then step in and take the role of a, uh, or to take command over the entire platoon uh, until they find a replacement. But of course, you had a ton of other tasks to do. So that would be really only for a uh, emergency situations where it didn't have any anywhere. Yeah, I read. Yeah, I read a story about a Hauptfeldwebel who earned the close combat clasp in combat on the on the Eastern Front. Um, but I think that was probably unusual, right? Like most, I think in most cases, in most units, the Hauptfeldwebel really was like a rear area position, even for units that were engaged in combat. Yeah, and there's a lot of wrong information uh, on this. And if you go, uh, okay, I have a really good example of this. I, I posted a picture or a couple of pictures online uh, before my Belgian event, um, couple of years ago um, and of my Hauptfeldwebel kit I basically I just uh, I was just finished with the kit and I want to take some good pictures and I want to send them to the uh, to the commander or the event organizers just to tell me okay I have my kit now is this uh, approved um, of course it was approved but um, anyway yeah so I post this on uh, some groups on Facebook, and basically I was just standing there in my kit next to a tree with an MP40 in my hand, and I got a little, little heat because I was taking a picture with an MP40, and people were like, uh, your role is not meant to be in the front. And my answer to that would be, yeah, that role is uh, the rare, a rare uh, area role for a company, but a company is a unit about 200 men or less. So you're not that far away from the front. <laughs> 200 men sure. is not that far away. So it's not like they have a, a Spies conference in Paris where you, all the health people will sit <laughs> uh, with candelairs and like we have a health conference where we just run all the logistics for all the companies. 
they will actually be there with the men uh, when they were fighting. And we know that a company involved in fighting, uh, uh, of course, they. you have several occasions where I, I read that the company headquarters were directly sent into battle or they, they were uh, more or less wiped out. And that was where the how to be able to, would would be. So that's why I'm... Uh, you have, of course, some examples where they, they get medals and you know that they have fought in close combat and you know that they have led a company and they get uh, iron crosses and knights crosses and everything like that. But that are rare, of course. But we know for a fact that company headquarters got into heavy fighting from time to time and, um, and that's where the house of Babel would be and he was issued uh, an mp40 um, and a pistol as well so he was issued uh, a weapon that was meant to be for fighting troops so still i think it would be sensible for time to time that they they actually could be in battle uh, or close combat. Um, and as I said, in there were also stand-in platoon commanders. So if you have a uh, event where you're lacking a uh, platoon commander, we have a comf group where everything is chaos. It's not. I don't, I don't think it would be unusual or strange if an experienced half available would take command of a platoon if if the, they didn't have anyone else. So that's my opinion on this. Yeah, I'm. You know, I agree with you. I think uh, it kind of makes me think about uh, at some point during the war, because of experiences that they had on the Eastern Front, a uh, decision was made for all um, artillery artillery soldiers to be taught how to engage in like close combat against tanks because of these deep uh, Soviet breakthroughs. You know, where people who were supposed to be significantly behind the line suddenly found themselves confronted with uh, armored enemy units. So, uh, yeah, I mean, definitely, I think kind of the what is a rear area role and what is a frontline role can be a fluid concept um, in certain certain places, certain times in World War Two. Yeah, especially for a small sized unit as a company. Right, they wouldn't be. It's it's not like that was the divisional command, right? The company headquarters was at the front in the sense of you know maybe it wasn't right on the Huffkant linea, but it was close enough that they could send out runners to the to the the positions in the foremost line. So it wouldn't be unusual for the Huffkant to at least carry his issue weapon, which is no, I don't. Think, in reference to the comments that. that yeah, in, in reference to comments that Nicholas uh, got heat for carrying his MP40. <laughs> I was basically in the picture just carrying it. I, I didn't look like I was in battle in any, any way. I was just standing there looking at my watch and uh, and some maps. And I was just uh, basically just hanging around and waiting. So, um, But then again, I see some pictures of some groups... I don't know the groups. I don't know the setting of the pictures or if they do this regularly. But I see some pictures uh, of some groups and they have regular events. And you can see that some of the... They're quite small group as well. And then you can see uh, one of the dudes is the same guy. He's being uh, helped every time. And it seems that for me would be 
a little strange. I would, I would more like to do as I've chosen to do, which is normally I would uh, maybe be a filterable, uh, just a because we don't have large events every time in Norway. We might have a good uh, turnup would be maybe 10 to 15 people, and that, then it wouldn't make any sense to to have the hot table uh, present. Um, so then I will have another unicorn and be a felt web and just be a normal uh, squad leader. That's good. I think that's a good approach. Right. I I agree with you. I think I, I kind of feel like there has been uh, a lot of different ways that reenactors have chosen to approach the Hauptfeldwebel impression over time where you had, you know, I've seen units where there is the one guy who does the Hauptfeldwebel impression all the time and most of the events that they do maybe are tactical. So this guy is, uh, you know, kind of leading a squad all the time, which isn't really necessarily correct. And then I guess there's like maybe like a, a counter push to that, which has the Hauptfeldwebel being exclusively like a guy sitting at a desk all the time, but that's, that's not really how it was either. Um, so I, I think helpful available is a really interesting role. I think that it can be really valuable in reenactment because if you have a group that is, you know, large, or if you are doing an event that has a lot of people going to it, there are a lot of actual tasks that the helpful available did that it's important to have someone do those kind of tasks from an organizational standpoint uh, for the reenactment. Um, so like what, what do you find to be the the most useful health available tasks that you can do at an event? Well, when we did the event in Belgium, I was uh, it was super cool to actually because we need to 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 know the fuel consumption. We need to know that we have enough food. We need to check the health of the men. We got some people that got sick. Uh, people have uh, they need to maybe wash themselves. And you need to keep the discipline where the tents are going to be set up. Every detail like this is the responsibility of the health level. It was really nice to actually do that. And I think it helped the uh, the commander of the Kampfgruppe as well, because he can then focus on what's our tasks. And that was really nice to see, because um, in in um, in the German army or the, the Wehrmacht, they, the thought was that the officer or the uh, company commander he would deal with the external things like the orders what are we going to do what is the tasks what are the battalion wants us to do everything like this but the the um uh, the half would would deal with the internal things like the running the company and how everyone one is doing everything like this so i think that was when you're doing an actual event for this long, it's really good to have a person like this. And in uh, if you work in a modern company, this would be like a mix of uh, HR, like public relation or public relation person HR, and uh, also the uh, uh, like a uh, logistics person that just makes things things work. Uh, but if you are doing smaller events and more static events like a camp event uh, or a uh, training event then you can have more office type work and, um, and that would be like 
using a typewriter, filling out forms and papers. Um, and of course, depending on the event, uh, this might not be possible to do, or there's uh, you don't have the necessary skills to do it properly, or the event has no use for you doing a lot of paperwork for no one. Um, but I think maybe for a static event, one of the most appreciated skills would be actually be able to fill out the soul book of, of the men. That could be a brilliant way to just you doing office work and you actually help people with filling out the soul books. So that could be a, a good thing to do, uh, as this is one of the responsibilities of the how to table. Um, and if you have an event where you actually get paid and you, yeah, I heard of events where you get paid um, some uh, Reichsmark or pay bills or anything like this, and you can actually use them for something at the event, like a chosk or something like that. And that could be a, a thing yeah, to do really as well. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. So you can lie. For a minute, I was thought you were talking about events where you would like get paid. No, no, I, go, I mean, I mean in our play world, like uh, <laughs> when we pretend to be soldiers, we can. <laughs> So you can move it, yeah. So, um, and that's the thing you can do as well. But as a most important thing, I just I, I would like to say either fill out the soul books or for bigger events, actually organize stuff and make things work. Like in Belgium, we had like, uh, how many times did the truck break down? Again, Lasse, you remember? Uh, the Ford broke down uh, eight, 85,672 two times a day and the Citroen broke down a few times over the event yeah and the motorcycle broke down once and uh, yeah yeah so <laughs> but you can imagine uh, Chris you, we were like driving around in Belgium historical uh, sites and we would actually have breakdowns on our trucks and the, the German army had breakdowns on their trucks all the time so we actually had to fix them and we had to um, make sure that we were on certain um, places at a certain time to stop the American advances as well. So we had a tight um, schedule and uh, we really need to push forward to get, um, get the trucks moving. And it was quite warm. So the people on the trucks, they would get warm. So they get them off the trucks into the shade, make sure everyone has water and fill up the bottles. And then the, after two minutes, we get start on the truck. They they get back on the truck, and then it breaks down again off the truck. So it's, it's a lot of uh, <laughs> it's a lot of work, and I really enjoyed it. But it was hectical. It was like being in uh, at at a real job. I love those kind of events, you know, where you feel like you're doing real work. To me, that's the most realistic um, that a reenactment can be. I totally agree. You get that feeling. Yeah. yeah. I know it was uh, it was interesting to see Nicholas in action uh, in Belgium because um, he came with us Norwegians, but he wasn't part of our squad. And whenever we were driving, he would be in his own car with his own uh, driver. And whenever we stopped, he would go out and order people around and order the trucks to turn around if we drove the wrong way. And he would just see the unit commander just sitting in his in his vehicle looking at maps and trying to orientate himself while Nicholas just fixed uh, everything and 
uh, at night when we camped, he would come and ask about fuel and he would ask about uh, the food situation and how the men were and all of that. And I would only um, talk to the unit commander for, um, or should I say, like tactical stuff and like yeah, military stuff while Nicholas handled all the... Um, uh, what's the the needs basically? Lussel, and it was what also rank, what uh, rank were you doing at that event? Uh, I was a unteroffizier. Okay. So a squad leader with super subdued Tressa, so we wouldn't see that he actually were. <laughs> so when we were captured uh, by the Americans, where which we were like three times a day because we had so many battles scheduled, uh, Lasse would usually be placed with the rest of the men while they separated the NCOs and the officers from the rest. <laughs> and I, I, because of the piston rings or the silver tressa around the uh, arms, and I had silver tressa on, um, on the shoulder boards and also around my, my neck on the um, uh, Litzen, I would uh, I, I looked like the boss. So sometimes they, they brought me in as the officer and they thought I was the company commander and of course, I only talked German to them, so uh, so they didn't understand what I was talking about. And <laughs> this was really a, a really fun misunderstanding, I think. Um, and that also shows that the the Americans they were not sure about this rank either. They just they have something on their shoulder boards, just uh, yeah, have them removed from the rest of the men. It's probably. Uh... I'm sure that that kind of situation played out uh, for real in World War II as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. of course. I, th I think it would be a common mistake. At that event, uh, it must be said that uh, because we were a Kampf group and we were uh, always in a really bad situation and usually surrounded and everything was quite hopeless, uh, I more or less at every battle except one uh, they came into what I would call close combat um, at close range um, every time because we were completely overrunned. One of the heights for me were uh, when the Americans had built a real platoon bridge, a platoon bridge over a river and actually crossed it at several points and also used uh, assault boats to cross the river further down and we were arriving from a nearby chateau at the same time. And this was a reenactment of an actual battle that took place there uh, over this bridge. And the Germans, it was sort of a meeting engagement where the Germans met the Americans on a uh, nearby bridge. And it, um, it's like a turkey shoot. It, we, we have, we're behind a stone wall and shooting down at the Americans. And it was, it was shooting everywhere. It was insane. I will remember this uh, until the day I die, I think. <laughs> yeah, for That's sure. Really cool. yeah. I used to be in a reenactment group that had a bunch of vehicles, and we did a lot of public displays, and we had breakdowns of the vehicles, too, uh, which I would hate when that would happen because there was always someone in the crowd, you know, somebody in the public would see the vehicle break down and then shout from the distance, no wonder they lost the war. And it was like this stupid <laughs> joke that I hated that I heard a thousand times, you know, would like haunt me. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, yeah, they lost the war because they had an 80-year-old. Yeah. They had an 80-year-old truck, right? But it, it's, it's um, 
it's a really cool feeling when it happens in Belgium and you're like, it looks like almost, it looks the same today in many of the places, the small towns we were in. And we had breakdowns and you were like, it's sort of Sony to just, okay, the truck breaks down. You order some men to try to fix it. You can see that they're in the engine room. They're bringing the tools and they try to figure out what's wrong this time. And the men are, of course, uh, they they don't like the situation because they want to be off the truck as soon as possible. The trucks were really full. Um, so, and it felt sort of Sony. It's like, yeah, this is the German army. We don't have enough trucks. They're breaking down. They're full of people equipment and we are losing the war <laughs> that's what it felt like and the americans yeah. they had so many vehicles it was insane so for us it I, I think it was really sony for me it's like i felt like the end was near sort of i remember the uh, big lineup for medals we had at the chateau which i missed because i was uh, fixing the fuel pump on um on the vehicle you were riding, Nicholas. That's true. It's. Uh... Did you guys get any medals? Uh, yeah, one, uh, two, one of two of our men got uh, medals. What we did at the, this event, we were a lot of groups, and of course, we are part of this umbrella organization called the European Access Coalition. So, what people did, they sent in, or the unit commander sent in, forehand. Uh, okay, this and this uh, people. Um, we want them to get medals for stuff that they did in their own groups. So we had a ceremony uh, where the entire uh, company would uh, have a ceremony and the uh, company commander would uh, hand them out. And we tried to do that as correctly as possible with the help of we would organize. So I organized the men in proper order and then I gave the command back to the lieutenant who took over and then he would do the ceremony, give the command back to me, and then I would dismiss the men. So it was really nice to do that. How many uh, Germans were there total uh, at the reenactment? I think we were like, you know, 60. Fake, fake Germans. Well, that's a lot of people. Yeah, and still we want to be be more. But realistically, we, we have seen that um, the lack of more trucks can be an issue. So a lot of the groups have now uh, been really serious about buying trucks and some have buy them privately as well and are now working on getting them into uh, proper shape. Because they, I think they, a lot of reenactors in Europe have been looking at Opel Blitz and you know the, the, the trucks that everyone heard of um, or the Mercedes trucks and they are really expensive. You're talking millions. Yeah. Uh, sure. So, um, uh, so what what people are now opening their eyes to are um, American trucks or French trucks uh, or any other trucks, uh, because the German army used a lot of different trucks. So our group has an American truck, a Chevrolet, um, and this was used by the uh, by the actual Belgian army. They had a lot of them. So you can see pictures of them on the Eastern Front, the same model truck that, that we have. So, uh, so uh, and that's a lot cheaper. So um, for events like this, we need to have a lot of uh, trucks to move everyone around. And that's a 
that's one of the breaks at the moment to grow the events bigger. I was reading in a German unit history, uh, there was a section about the supply officer that the author of this divisional history was like heaping this guy with praise, um, saying that um, he had he had earned the War Merit Cross first class with swords uh, because he was such a good supply officer. And one of the challenges that this guy had faced was finding spare parts for the unit's trucks, which came from like every country in Europe. Yeah. Um, and they were like all different, you know? Yeah. Um, so that, I think that really underscores how many different types of vehicles they really had to use. It wasn't always the Opel Blitz, like you say. And there's a very nice photo from after the war on a big, big field, which is a photo taken from a plane. And it's basically just where uh, all the German troop trucks were parked. And there's like there's more dif- there's there's more different brands and models there than there are people in the German army. It's insane. And of course, when yeah, you, they were desperate. And when you see the pictures of the trucks, it could be really hard and see some of the pictures are not really clear, and maybe the truck are not in focus. There are maybe men standing in front of a truck. And they're all clap, uh, camouflage colored, and uh, so it can be hard to see what brand the truck is and where it's from. But if you have some knowledge of this and have a closer look at the pictures, you can actually see that okay, this is a, this is actually a Chevrolet or this is a uh, Citroen truck, a French truck, uh, and there's so many different types that are used. And uh, uh, for our group, we had been doing a lot of research to um, to fix our truck up to the standard it is today and uh, that that's really cool. took a lot of work <laughs> um, I can also maybe mention what sort of um, necessary kit you need to have if you want to portray a how to table if that in yeah that I would love to hear your take on that well it's quite easy. Uh, you need to have the same, uh, basically the same as a squad leader. So binoculars, a map case, an MP40, but only three extra magazines, so one pouch extra. And you also need the uh, silver tresser piston rings around your sleeves. I can say that you can also do that for uh, your uh, coat or uh, any other uh, outerwear if you have a uh, parka, you can see it on the, them as well, but not that common. But you see them on the, um, see them on the mantle at least. And um, and then you have the uh, Meltasche, the or the company book that they have, and um, that's one of the most unique things that you have as the Hauptfebel. Uh, basically, you have a leather uh, pouch with a book inside, and you can often see them having one button open and tucked it into the front of the jacket um, or they would have it in a, in their meltasche in front of um, they always have the map case uh, if they don't have this uh, and that's for all the paperwork and it uh, also to, to keep it dry um, but also to have it handy and when I've been doing this oppression, especially when we did the Belgian trip, it was really nice to have all the papers uh, handy. And I also had all the money 
for the unit to pay for the gasoline. So I had an <laughs> insane amount of uh, euros in cash on me at all times. And I slept with this money. Uh, like in, <laughs> I had a, in the beginning, we had a jar full of, uh, of money. And I, I, I don't remember how much it was, but I think it was three or 4,000 euros in cash. So that would be... Uh, I remember that fat wad of cash. Yeah. <laughs> so uh and also well, one of the uh helpful little uh tasks that you did was actually going to a local bakery to order bread that's true that's cool uh and i i, I can't speak french and the bakery only speak uh, we're, we're speaking french uh the baker so i went in there in a full uh, german uniform uh the uh, truck were waiting outside i just told them to wait i was I basically just wanted to order bread for 60 people for several days. So I went in there with a lot of cash in my hand and I asked the baker nicely if they can um, supply us with bread. They didn't understand me, so I was pointing at the bread and they were like nodding, giving me one bread. And I was like, uh, I might need a little more than this. I have 60 people. So by sign language, a uh, little English, a uh, little French, some German, uh, we were able to make an order and the bread arrived every day at the correct time and the correct amount that we paid for. So in some miraculous way, it, it worked. Uh, <laughs> but uh, they, looked, uh, they looked at me like I was a madman when I was walking around in the... In that uniform but i had a lot of money on me so they didn't ask any questions uh, <laughs> so um yeah I, I can also say that uh of course uh, f uh when we if you go back to the kit uh a thing that uh, or some things that would be really nice to have are typical office stuff like typewriter stamps form papers uh fountain pens pencils Everything like this um, is really nice to have. And I also seen some pictures of some uh, fold, uh, foldable tables uh, in wood. That would be really nice to have. And some foldable chairs as well. So if you have a truck and you move around, it's good to have like an easy setup office thing if you need it. But of course, they used whatever they had. And, and they were, of course, try to built the company inside a house or similar, um, if, if possible. Uh, another thing that I can mention is that the um, help of people were able to buy officer stuff, um, like a like the riding boots or the officer boots. They're not riding boots, but they, the high officer boots and also the um, the puffy breeches and, um, and, and other things that were not uh, available to other NCOs. Uh, and uh, of course, they had to pay for that themselves. But in many cases, the half of it will be paid more than the actual company commander because they would usually uh, have seniority over him in, uh, in how many years they would have been in, uh, in uh, the Wehrmacht. And they, um, they were paid quite similar but they were paid extra for certain amount of years in service. 
So uh, in many cases, the um, half of people were paid more than the officer. And that was maybe because they were quite young as well in, in many cases. So what do you think is like the appropriate uh, footwear and trousers for a half of able impression? Do you think that, you know, the uh, officer boots and breeches are representative of what most half of able wore like in the field? No, not in the field. I would uh, go for low boots if it's uh, if it's late war or um, or normal jack boots maybe if it's uh, if it's okay with your unit to have it it's of course it differs it's it depends a lot of the unit if it's a total brand new unit that you're uh, doing it's uh, a unit that's just been given new equipment I would go for low boots if it's an older unit that's been uh, having replacements for uh, for many. Uh, many months, it, you might have um, uh, access to having the regular um, uh, high boots, or yeah. But I wouldn't do riding boots in in the field. But if you're doing sort of a, a camp impression, or if you want to have a, a, a more, uh, yeah, it depends, of course, on the on the event you're doing. But if if it's correct for the event, you can have riding boots, I think. But uh, you can have some stuff that are a little nicer if if it's if you feel that that's correct for your impression. And you have to remember that the health available is again a position title, so you see pictures of people having the rank uh, or the, the position they have the pistol rings, but they 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 are not even a health available. They're just owner officer or something like that. So. Uh, and uh, you you then know that this is just temporary. This is just because some other guy was killed or wounded or replaced. Yeah, I guess it's hard to say at things like um, what would be the typical uh, awards that would be worn on the uniform of a health available because it would depend on the unit and their their own personal history, their career in the military and um what period of the war it was too i guess i always like to downtone it a little bit and don't have too much uh medals and stuff like that and i think when we're doing the uh, belgian event i don't remember last i had the eastern front medal and something else i think the iron cross second class yeah i think that iron cross yeah iron cross second class and the eastern front medal that's it nothing else and I uh, only have the uh, as the tabs on uh, the jacket, so they're not really that visible. But uh, when you build a character, you want to build an impression. Yeah, try to make a sort of a story for yourself because it's only imagination anyway. And uh, but of course, base it on historical fact. And I, my uh, take on this, where I was, I was just looking at hundreds of pictures, all the pictures I can get my hands on of um, House of Abels and just looking at their medals, trying to find out uh, as much as possible uh, about this topic. But there's not much information about this um, easily available. So I basically just looked at pictures and made up an impression. And I could see that a lot of them had a lot of medals. And um, there were several uh, Ritikoids and stuff like that um, on, on them. and. Uh, and uh, some of them were really experienced from my, and that's why uh, some of them were also got got the 
how to be able responsibility after they were, they were wounded. So that's also a way into this. Let's say you went to the Eastern Front, you got the wound, but it didn't kill you and it, you can still walk, you can still be a part of the uh, company, but you're, you shouldn't be at the front because maybe you lost your hand or uh, you have a, a splinters in your leg and, and you can't walk properly or something like that. It, some cases you can still serve uh, the company in this manner. Uh, another question I wanted to ask about the kit um, is a lot of people, I think, want to know if there was some specific book or pouch that was the, you know, the Meldatasha or whatever, like, was there some issue thing or was it something that they had to buy? Was it a personal choice or like, what, what do you think about that? This belonged to the company. And the company book is a, um, is a part of the company's paperwork. And the company's paperwork... Well, what about uh, like the, the thing that they carried around with them in their, in their jacket, right? Yeah, that's the company book. Inside, there's actually a book. So this is like a leather uh, folder. Um, so it, it looks a little bit like a handbag where... Uh, in, in leather and you put the book inside and it fits uh, perfectly and then you have uh, sort of a flap going halfway around on the other side and usually where some uh, type uh, of um, uh, attachment on this you can you can close it and make sure it didn't open and this was to keep the uh, book dry as dry as possible and this book uh, contained uh, Everything, all the information, how many people uh, are in the company, where they are at the moment. And they were also keeping track on people that were wounded. When are, where are they? Uh, because they're still a responsibility of the company, in theory at least. Of course, this paperwork um, is really hard to upkeep if you are in the front situation. Uh, and it's like late 40, 1944. I don't think they prioritized this. But in theory, they should keep track on all the men belonging to the company. And you're still in the company even if you're in the hospital or behind the front. So, um, yeah. so there's a lot of uh, paperwork in this book. They are, from my understanding, not standardized because I've seen several pictures of them. And they look uh, different uh, every, every time. Some of them are really nice. They're marked with... Uh, uh, in the letter, the the company number and the, even the division they are belonging to, and all the information like this are inside. Some of them have uh, logos on them etched into the letter, um, and also the company book that are inside are also uh, different. There are I've seen them in red, blue, blue and green, and uh, with different um, uh, writing on the outside. And from my understanding, they will also switch them out. They will actually fill them. They will be needing to update them. So they will get a new one, an empty one, and continue. So it's like a history of the company, like a logbook. Where are we? What are we doing? What's the status of the men? Uh, ammunition, everything like this. So it's a helpful tool for the hot table. And it's also where they will write up people if they've has any disciplinary uh, cases. Like if 
someone has uh, deserted or someone has stolen something uh, or someone has been punished for something. It will also be written down in this book. So it's a sort of a, um, a transcript of what would be written in the soul books at company level. I haven't seen anyone making this. <laughs> And I have a friend of mine uh, say, uh, who makes books, um, the actual books. He doesn't write books, but he makes the books uh, in, uh, from historical uh, books. And he, he, he's working on making one for me, for my impression, with the leather casing and everything. Because he is used to working in, with leather, and this is quite fine leather work. So... Uh, and I want it to look proper, and I'm going to base it on a picture or several pictures that I have. So I'm going to basically copy that from the pictures. What are some good uh, ways to learn about the Hauptfeld Vable? Like, what are good sources of information um, for people who might want to know more about this stuff? Or, like, how did you learn about it? I would, uh, of course, uh, first of all, recommend to get um, the... Hauptfeldwebel's um, book. The Wehrmacht gave out a uh, handbook for the Hauptfeldwebel, which um, explains all his responsibilities, responsibilities of the company, and also the different um, rules and disciplinary uh, rules for the company. And um, that's a really good way, or a good place to start. Uh, also, I would of course, recommend to get um, uh, to look a little bit online, and also I would also recommend to check with your unit if there's anything specifically for that unit uh, that you need to think about. Uh, then now I'm thinking more about the the actual uniform and, uh, and stuff like that. But um, uh, I think I would uh, start with the the book about the health of people. Yeah, I uh, I have found that book to be really helpful. You know, I don't do a uh, helpful verbal impression, but I do like a Schreiber impression. Um, and there, there's just so much information in that book that just applies to reenacting in general. Um, it, I think it's such a goldmine of a resource. Absolutely, and it's, it's rec I recommend it if you're just interested in, in the topic. You can, if if you're unsure. When should we wake up at the event? If you're doing a boot camp event in camp, just look in the book. It says in the book when you're supposed to wake up, and it's even a time for weekends. And it also says that senior, um, senior Uberge fighters that has seniority over, I think it's four years, they can sleep longer. So they have you have all the information that you need if you want to run a proper German camp or training camp so what do you think um what do you think the future holds for you as health field able are you going to keep um kind of working on this and and doing it uh in the future or um are you thinking about maybe branching out to other types of roles other impressions that you could do i, I i'm keeping the health available for sure it's uh, now i have it uh, and it's a lot as i said a lot of the same kit as a squad leader, which I'm also going to keep. Uh, so 
but I'm, I, I think I still gonna uh, fine tone um, the impression and get more office stuff. And I heard from the start of this uh, episode that you are a typewriter expert. So I think we're gonna talk <laughs> a little bit about that on the yeah. side here because I actually are looking for a new typewriter. Um, so I need some more stuff like that. Uh, and um, I was also thinking about maybe doing a uh, uh, sort of a journalist depression. Uh, so oh like a Kriegsberichter, like what last yes does? some something like that so uh i may have done some influence on that uh we, t- we talked about maybe uh doing some sort of um a radio impression that would be cool it's like a uh, Kriegsberichter with radio i don't remember what it called again but uh Funkberichter. yeah okay so easy okay Funkberichter. that would be really cool so that would be cool to do so um so we will see but i'm uh, always look on I always look out to to try to do new stuff and also improve on the stuff I already have all right well Nicholas it has really been a pleasure talking to you and I'm sure that uh, we will have you on again some other time in the future it's been an absolute pleasure and um, I will be glad to join you guys again so Nicholas and Lassa and everybody else out there uh, stay safe and I'll see you in the field see you in the field see you in the field Before we go, you may want to check out Fehler Kopf over at german-worldwar2.com, that is german-ww2.com, uh, where they sell lots of pocket litter and a lot of cool paperwork stuff. And you can get 7% off, off of your next purchase there by using the discount code PODCAST2020, that is PODCAST2020, at checkout. Once again, uh, and as always, thanks to Mike, a.k.a. Retroman, for editing this podcast. Thanks, Mike.